five teenagers are given the ability to transform into any animal they touch. Using this technology, they alone must fight a secret infiltration of Earth by a parasitic race of aliens known as the Yerks. They can't tell you who they are or where they are from, but we're here to tell you their story. This is the Millennial Agenda, Animorphs Edition. Hello and welcome everyone to the Millennial Agenda, Animorphs Edition, a weekly discussion of K.A. Applegate's sci-fi action series, The Animorphs. I am your host, Josh Gunderson, and I am joined by my Animorphs Edition co-host, Kevin Morey. This week we are discussing book 21, The Threat. When we last saw the Animorphs, a large majority of them were cockroaches and plummeting to their deaths from a helicopter. Don't you worry. Rachel and Tobias swoop in to save the day. We soon learned that the mystery dude that Mr. Three acquired in the last book was the White House Chief of Protocol. It looks like the Yerks are planning to hijack people using strategically placed holograms hiding a Yerk pool during a big dinner of world leaders. The animals infiltrate the banquet, but surprise! It's a trap. Mr. Three apparently recently got a Netflix account and watched Inception and used basically that idea to use a shit ton of holograms to fool the Andalite bandits. Mr. Three correctly assumes that David has been given morphing abilities and makes him an offer to join the Yerks and return to his family. And it looks like David, who's a giant piece of shit, is about to take the deal when Snake Marco causes some chaos and a battle ensues, the Animorphs deducing that the hork surrounding them are actually holograms. The Animorphs manage to escape, and David gets all sorts of cocky about his supposed deception against the Visser. Jake privately tells the others to just play along, his trust in the newest member having been destroyed by the events at the banquet hall. Jake and a couple of the others watch over the barn where David is staying in case he decides to take the Yerks up on their offer, and sure enough, that little fucker sneaks out in the middle of the night and heads to his old house. Tobias, Axe, and Jake give chase, with Jake bringing up the rear, getting to David's house and finding the bloody body of a red-tailed hawk on David's bed. David takes off and morphs with Jake in pursuit, and the two of them end up on the roof of the mall, locked in a deadly battle, David as a lion, Jake as a tiger, and the book ends on yet another cliffhanger, with David and Jake falling through the skylight of the mall as Jake is losing consciousness. And that is... A lot. Yes. <laughs> I I I don't even know where to begin. I do, but I don't. Um but I I guess like we'll talk about the sort of like the the sort of throwaway part of this story, which is this this banquet of world leaders. And my kind of question as I was reading this whole situation, so they, they break in the first time. And they're like, all right, what's the, what are they going to do? All right, cool. We know what they're going to do. And then they come back, and it turns out that it was all fake and a trap. But it's never really told to us why all of a sudden Visser 3 knows that the quote-unquote Andalite bandits are onto the whole plan. Why, why set up this big elaborate thing unless he knew? And I really have no thoughts beyond that. I, that's just my giant yeah. question. So, I mean, clearly the Andalite bandits have some kind of intel because they always manage to show up in exactly the place they need to be at the right time. I don't think that the Vizzer knows that Eric is the one doing that, or the Chi in general. Um, yeah, it's interesting that he's putting all this time and energy into just 
saying, well, they're going to know, so let's catch them, as opposed to being like, let's figure out how they're finding it out. Yeah, it was just, it was all very odd to me. That, like, because, I mean, granted, that, that whole thing, that whole situation was just, it was almost sort of throwaway, because all it was was to lead to just pointing out more and more that David is kind of not the greatest in the world. Yeah, that's I, that was just very odd to me that the the Visser knew enough to set up this this sort of inception hologram within a hologram within a hologram right situation because even like at the beginning cuz they they morph out of cockroach and only then is what I brought up to you after our last recording cuz I was like, "Oh, wait a second. David doesn't know how to morph clothing. He he naked." <laughs> and they address that in this book because they they land in the the sand dunes and they're like ah oh, shit we need some clothes someone go get some clothes for David but all this tells me is that David had to morph on the on the the blade ship in the nude but it yeah. was never brought up it was like I so that's obviously just a, like a, an author oversight but it's it's what I brought up to you after we had already recorded I was like wait a minute David. David's naked. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is um, something that I never picked up on before. But if it if it were if they had put the whole stealing clothes from the beach shop thing before the helicopter, I could buy that they had like taught him how to morph clothes in between. But the fact that it's after, yeah, he he was he was naked on that blade ship, basically. Yes. But no one, po- I guess they were just too caught up in the moment to, to think about it. Right. And well, on top of that, Rachel isn't on the, she, Rachel and Tobias stayed outside. So Cassie's the only girl and it seems like they're pretty comfortable with like morphing without clothing in front of each other as long as it's all guys seeing each other, judging from the time that Axe had the demorph, the time that Tobias first demorphed in front of Jake, like things like that. So I guess conceivably Cassie is a pretty considerate person. So she probably just knew to herself to look away and not embarrass him. I'm going to say that. That's fair. That's, you know, and like Cassie, it's like, I've, I've it's like being naked in front of a doctor. It just doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't I feel like she wouldn't care. <laughs> and I also feel like it's such a high stress situation that, clothing was probably the least of his concerns in that moment yeah and then jake gets home from this initial uh this initial mission of uh all of them falling out of uh a blade ship and then um getting shot at by uh sunglasses with draken beams built into them because why not and they're like yeah nah, peace out and then there's this complete throwaway that I have a feeling was not a, just a simple throwaway. It was like, we're going to drop this and pick it up later. And that's that Jake, Jake's cousin, and subsequently Rachel's cousin, was injured in a car accident. And Jake's like, oh, okay, well, he's fucking obnoxious, so it's fine. And <laughs> like, that was like, okay, cool, that I mean, granted, my family's kind of like that, where I get some sort of news, and I'm like, eh, okay. 
Um, but Jake's like, oh, this is perfect because my parents will be out of town so I can disappear for hours on end and no one no one will be there to notice. And then that night, David, uh, David disappears from the barn and I really enjoy Cassie's phone call to Jake, to her like her secret agent conversation with Jake. Because she's like, oh, I've looked in the TV guide and I I can't find Letterman on letterman is missing from the tv guide <laughs> and i i kind of can't help but wonder knowing cassie's inability to quickly improvise as we learned uh at at the area 51 wannabe where she's like ah cindy crawford and then gave one two three four five six seven as her <laughs> phone number eight <laughs> yeah and i was like did she spend like a good 20 minutes like okay what do I do? And then he eventually called Jake. Oh my God. <laughs> Poor Cassie. I love that. That's and... the thing she thinks of. Like it's a normal thing to call somebody and be like, I can't find David Letterman in the TV guide. So I'm calling you my friend from school. Help me find him. <laughs> I mean, I have called people for stranger things, not yeah. the show stranger things, but for just things that are strange. I've called them. That's fair. Because sometimes, sometimes the text message isn't enough. Like normally, you a good chunk of my conversations are via text. But if I call you, you know it's about to be fucking weird. Yeah, that's fair. So, you're, you're welcome, world. And it turns out David has snuck off and uh, broke into a hotel room, and it leads to this kind of like tense situation between him and Jake. And I, I, again, much like with the last book, I, I kind of want to play David's advocate, if you will, um, that I, I don't think, I don't think the proper leadership is there. Granted, they're all 13-year-old kids, but I don't think the Animorphs are handling any of this in the right way. Because understandably, sleeping in a smelly-ass barn on hay is not going to appeal to anybody. And I get that he can't always sleep over at Marco's house. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, like, a sleepover at Rachel or Cassie's is kind of out because of the whole boy-girl thing. Um, and he can't go to Jake's house because, you know, Tom. But I, felt, I feel like the Animorphs aren't really kind of, you know, sympathetic to his plight in this moment. So, like, yeah, you know what? I, I'd probably be breaking into a hotel, too. I like I mean after this book I don't I don't want to like David anymore but I feel like they're not giving him a chance cuz he also came into the group and they started immediately treating him like one of the group which sounds all well and good except he's he's not and they're not treating him like somebody who needs to be eased into all of this they're just like yeah go and they right. brought them on this this mission where he's going to be buck ass naked on a blade ship <laughs> And then have to wear some like knockoff like Ron John surf shop shit until he <laughs> can get home that they stole. And then like oh like Jake Jake's trying to like you know play oh we've got morals we don't do bad things we're definitely gonna like mail them five bucks for it <laughs> like I I I get it I get David to an extent. Even even his attack on Tobias 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to justify it, but at the same time, he's like, well, he's a, he's, he's just a bird. And like, Hey Jake, what about all these, these hork controllers and these human controllers that y'all have offed without any real thought? Right. I, I can't fault him too, too much, but at the same time, he like, he's made some pretty stupid moves and decisions. And I, I wanted to I wanted to come into this like no I'm going to give David the benefit of the doubt but like you you kind of definitely maybe killed my favorite character from my childhood how dare you right yeah um yeah the, the Tobias moment is kind of where I completely lost the ability to like sympathize with David because it's yes on the one hand he has been put through a lot but he still didn't need to murder somebody <laughs> you know and it's just uh and the fact that he's like yes I killed Tobias and now I'm gonna kill all of you one at a time but it's okay because you're animals like that's not really how morals work my dude <laughs> well I mean don't don't like psychopaths start off with hurting animals yes yeah, that is yeah. a thing. Yeah, so I'm assuming David probably he left the barn because he wet the hay, um, and and then started hurting animals. Well, he already hurt animals. He murdered a bird in the last book. And then mm -hmm. what's the third? What's the third sign of a, a sociopath? I mean, I'm not a murderologist, so I don't know these things. Or worse, I'm not a murder podcaster, <laughs> so I don't know these things. Let's see. Socially irresponsible behavior, disregarding or violating the rights of others, inability to distinguish uh, between right and wrong, difficulty with showing remorse or empathy, tendency to lie often, manipulating and hurting others, recurring problems with the law, general disregard towards safety and responsibility. I mean, I'm I'm seeing some of that. So that's, yeah, he's that's, hitting most um, of those. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's falling under the antisocial personality disorder. Yeah, I'm looking at psychopath specifically. Um, yeah. we've also got narcissism, superficial charm, impulsivity, callous out emotional traits, lack of guilt, lack of empathy. Yeah, I think it's safe to say David is. Oh, okay. He's so not I, what well. I'm thinking of, <laughs> what I'm thinking of is the, uh, um, the McDonald triad. Um, so the, the homicidal triad, which is, uh, linking cruelty to animals, obsession with fire starting, and persistent bedwetting past a certain age. Mm. Um, leading to violent behaviors, particularly homicidal behavior and sexual predatory behavior. Interesting. The bedwetting one is one I've never heard before. That's... Oh, you haven't? That's no. like one of, apparently, just like, I mean, this is, we're probably diving into like more Nina territory, because <laughs> uh, she she loves her a damn good murder podcast. Um, I, I wonder if that's more like correlation than causation though, because I can't, I don't understand how peeing leads to killing. No, I, I, I mean, I haven't done much, um, research into, uh, murderology, but I, yeah, bedwetting's always been a big part of it, which is why that immediately popped into my head. Um, hmm. I mean, the boy keeps a, a, Desect cobra under his bed in a shoebox. That right there was enough. Yeah, yeah, that's that his parents like. I maybe his parents were sociopaths too, because like 
his dad gave him the snake. They had to have known it was there. And uh, I'm going to give uh, Rachel the, the MVP award for this book because there's some pretty kind of uh, amusing moments with her. Um, first being, like, Jake mentions early on that uh, Rachel has taken to keeping clothing at the barn for when they have to, you know, if they have to travel there in Morph and mm -hmm. come out of it, she's got clothes there, which I find really funny because Jake learns that at the beginning of the book and then towards the end of the book, uh, before the alleged murder of Tobias, he's like hunkered down in the back of Cassie's dad's truck, like in the cold, uncomfortable hay, and he's complaining about how cold he is. And he's like, did you learn nothing from Rachel? Like, <laughs> why don't you keep clothes at the bar? Granted, you have to go into the barn where David is to get them. So I guess I can kind of justify it. But like, y'all, you've had you've had 20 something books and a couple of megamorphs to get your shit together. Can you <laughs> I feel like you should have had better plans in place for how to deal with with clothing, especially, you know, it's getting later in the year. I'm assuming it's going to get cold out. Right. Get it together. And then apparently none of the boys know how to tie a tie, which is fair, because I didn't learn how to tie a tie until I was 15. I want to say 15 is when I learned how to tie a tie. Mm -hmm. And Rachel's like, oh, you boys are pathetic. I got this. So I can only assume that Rachel went through an Avril Lavigne phase. Um, I don't think Avril Lavigne was making music yet in 1997. And I don't think that Rachel would be the type to jump on that bandwagon even when she does come around with music. You don't think that Rachel was a, a pop punkette? I, I do not. <laughs> I am not of that what do you opinion. Think Rachel, what do you think Rachel listens to? Like, I, this is such an odd sidetrack, but now, now you've got me wondering. Like, do, do you think she was listening to like, a lot of No Doubt? Were they, was this around No Doubt's? reign of terror i think this is when they started um she probably would have been into i feel like she's a nirvana girl but i also feel like she's not a mainstream music girl so i think that at the time she'd be like yeah nirvana but then as time had gone she'd be like "Ugh, too many people like nirvana and now it's not it's like ruined for me yeah oh no no uh, no doubt was has been kicking since the early 90s yeah so, yeah, Gwen Stefani it, is um, is a vampire. This is a fact that we all know. <laughs> Seriously, that woman is like, she's like almost sixty, right? And she looks like she's thirty. Is she? She's at I least. I never. She is at least fifty years old. Hold on, let me see. Oh, she's fifty-one. Oh my god. Yeah, she is, and she looks oh. great. She's kind of doing like the. Uh, I'm not really into what's happening currently with her and whatever country music guy she's dating because. She's giving me heavy, like, Republican wife vibes. Yeah, she's um, definitely not human because she shouldn't look <laughs> I mean, that good. <laughs> I, I guess uh, her and her and Jennifer Lopez are drinking the same blood of virgins. Um, well, but see... They must go to the same vampire bar. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer Lopez, how old is she? She's, like, 55? Yeah, she's up there. Gwen Stefani was enough of a fashion icon in the 90s. Um... That early on, though, when she was just ska and no doubt, I don't know if she'd be fashion icon at that point. Uh, but yeah, so she can tie a tie and apparently the boys can't. And then 
Oh, I think I don't know why. Like, I, it's very rare that I, like reading anything like hits me in the way that this particular line did. But as Axe and Jake are like rushing to David's house, and Jake is very concerned um, for Tobias, and he's now it's now in his head that like David is a David is a severe threat. This is a severe problem. And he just like he says over to Axe, he's like, "Go get Rachel." Mm-hmm. Like, cause you know it means business. When, like, I don't like that. It puts such a pit in my stomach. Yeah, reading that, I was just kind of like, "Oh shit!" Well, especially because when you think about the fact that Rachel is Jake's cousin, like, it's not just like, "Oh, they're they're both on this team." Like, they are related to each other, and he's he's literally like. Yo, Hags, go get my cousin so she can murder this kid. <laughs> like, it's it's intense. It it just it it hit me in just such a way. He's like, go get Rachel, and now, like, so we're we're leaving this with you know, Jake. Jake is you know losing consciousness. It sounds like David got a pretty good bite on him, and he's losing blood and falling through a skylight. Mm-hmm. And Tobias, we don't know what the situation there is. And, like, what a more intense cliffhanger to leave all of this on. Right. I... Like, this would have driven me nuts. As Like, I remember this driving me nuts. Because, again, we had to wait a hot minute for the next book to come out. Right. Yeah, this is a cliffhanger. This is a stressful cliffhanger to leave on. Because, like, at that point, like, I I know in this moment that we have more Tobias books and we have more Jake books. Mm-hmm. So we we good. Like, sorry, spoiler alert, if anyone hasn't, like, looked ahead at the books. <laughs> um, but we did not know that back in 97, 98, when this right. particular, uh, when did this one, this one came out in August 98. Um we did not know what was going to come. So this was, this is very stressful. I remember this is like, God, this is like a, a season finale of, of loss, leaving you with those big fucking cliffhangers. And you're like, I gotta fucking wait now. I gotta wait that long. This is hell. This is hell on earth. <laughs> I, so do you, so the, the big question, I guess, is do you think in that, that weird moment in the banquet hall, that I still can't wrap my head around how Visser 3 knew that it was um, they were going to infiltrate and like essentially had a really great plan that then got wasted, I guess. Because I, I, I as far as I know, we're now we're done with that whole like that side quest of dealing with the, like the world leaders and possible infiltration and maybe we'll come back to it. But I feel like the next book is going to deal heavily with the David problem. Right. But do you think in that moment when Visser 3 is talking to David at the banquet hall and David starts to like go to him, do you think that was a trick on David's part? Or do you think oh, I don't at all. sincerely like... No, really? I don't buy that for a second. I think that David really was like fully ready to defect. But here's what also confuses me. Because I don't understand how Visser 3 makes the assumption that... Because he still thinks these are Andalite bandits. He does not think that these are human kids. So 
he, having access to an Andalite brain and a bit of an asshole at that, um, of an Andalite, what makes him think that Andalites are about to break the law of Sierra's kindness for one kid that they've just met? Andalites would be more likely to kill the kid themselves or just leave him to be infested or taken or killed or whatever. So it's weird to me that he's like, ah, yes, these Andalites, they will be very sympathetic with this human child and probably break their deepest laws just to give him a uh, morphing ability to help them fight, even though he's literally a child. Like, it's just really odd that he came to that conclusion. I could see it if he, if David, like, revealed himself and Visitor 3 was like, ah, so that's what you did with him. But to have him be like, I bet that's David, that's, it just really didn't make sense to me. That didn't even cross my mind because I was so baffled at Visitor Three knowing that 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 the animorphs were there to begin with. Right, right. But yeah, because Aloran is a fucking dick. He'd be the last one. Yeah. And I mean, granted, they should have killed. Like they should have. They should have killed him. I hate to say that because he's a kid, but like, what they should have done was just left him. They should have left before he realized what they were or who they were. But, I mean, you even said it last week. Like, mm-hmm. Marco showed too much interest that if they were to infest him, they would yeah. be like, ah, that kid. And then, like, I mean, I thought about it a little bit more because you did mention, like, they should have brought him to, like, the hork Valley and left him there. And, like, yeah, that probably would have been the smarter idea because even if he got out, it's far enough away that he he's dumb enough he'd die in the woods. Yeah. And... Like, don't give him the ability to morph, because if he can't morph, it doesn't make it easier for him to get out of there. Right. I think that... I still stand by what I said for when they first encountered him. I don't think giving him morphing was correct, but I think they should have found a way not to kill him, but not to let the Yerks get to him. Um, Giving him to the Chi, for example. But, uh, you know, the the Hork-Bajir Valley, like, there were options. Um, But at this point, for me personally... Now that he has shown intent to kill them, um, I think that they should just straight up kill him. And I think Jake is right for trying to get Rachel because he knows Rachel has the guts to do it. Um, yeah. So I stand so by. They... I now stand by the murder David plan. <laughs> I think that he, I think I, that he should be killed. I mean, I com- I completely agree because there's they have no other options. Mm-hmm. There is no other way that this can work for them like he between him showing yeah. intent to kill and the fact that he was willing to defect to visor three um which would jeopardize not only them but like literally the existence of the world like no question kill the kid move on next yeah and so i mean go go get rachel because mm-hmm. oh she gonna go so much grizzly bear on his ass i and i i do love that our next book which is uh, entitled The Solution, and it wraps up the trilogy, uh, is a Rachel POV. Yes. I can only assume that it's one or two pages long, and it starts with Rachel showing up to the mall and ends with her, like, licking the blood of David off of her paws. Like, that's (laughs) just two pages. I flew to the mall, morphed human, morphed bear, ripped his guts out, had a good snack. (laughs) The end. Yeah, that's pretty much what I would expect as well. Uh, for some reason, uh, uh, K.A. Applegate saved all of the the horrifying morphing for this book. Because why not? Because they, they morph fleas and end up staying a little bit too long as fleas. Oh, yeah. This is... 
I hate this and, kind of thing whenever she does this. <laughs> yeah, because like Marco's again was weird that he, as a flea, grew to human size and then started like defleeing. And Cassie had to sort of talk him down and be like, no, 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 no. It's like, you can do this. You got this. This is the second time Cassie has had to talk Marco out of freaking out you know, as they stayed a little bit too close to that two hour limit. Mm -hmm. And even Axe was very impressed by it. He was like, wow, that that's not a thing, but you, <laughs> you done did the thing. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was, just, it was just super terrifying. Like she is just whipped. Like, cause we had the weird ass morphing into the birds in the last book oh with the some, fingers like, Ooh, yeah, yeah. No. Mm. and then and then just like and, and we also had a uh, snake body marco head which is my favorite oh yeah a very um beetlejuice kind of a moment yeah and then we have uh jumbo flea so it was like she really just saved the morph horror for us <laughs> on this one <laughs> she was not not holding back um, I mean, but definitely, I I really enjoyed it. This was a really good read. Uh, I mean, they're all they're all really good reads, and I'm enjoying it. But like this one, it went like I, I flew through it both times that I read it, mm -hmm. and um, it was like, okay, wow, this is like we're really like it seems like we're really getting into a good groove, which sucks because we're getting very close to the uh, the ghost written books. Yeah. Um, but, there, you know, some of the ghostwritten books are still really good. There are some that are rough, but I think that they do a good job of, of maintaining the the feel of the series. Mm -hmm. So I'm not totally anti-ghostwritten books, but some of them are, uh, there are some rough patches ahead. <laughs> yeah, and then and then we are, like, it seems like we're also playing loosey-goosey with our, our morals, because it feels like Jake is trying to instill... That, you know, we don't use our powers for bad. Um, we try to stay on the up and up. Granted, they don't have a good history of staying on the up and up. Because uh, mm -hmm. as, as far as we know, somebody burned down Joe Bob Finestre's house. Right. And potentially murdered him. So, but we also, we morph humans. We morph humans that are not the Animorphs for the first time. Mm-hmm. Because Cassie is morphed into Rachel, Axe is morphed into Jake, and then his amalgamation of of all of them. Um, but they they knock out and acquire the the Secret Service dudes or the the New York security, and um, that was kind of I was like, oh okay, we're we're okay with this. But then at the same time, they're standing in front of this portable Yerk pool. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to destroy all these Yerks in here. And I'm like, a few books ago, you were ready to commit chemical warfare. Um, in book six, Jake literally killed a jacuzzi full of Yerks without hesitating. Yeah. I mean, granted, I get like, the in their first time in, they're like, uh, if we destroy them, they'll know we were here. Right. So that's fair. But like, you should have brought some, why didn't you bring some oatmeal? 
fucking Marco's dad <laughs> is loaded up with goddamn oatmeal. Oh god, the fucking oatmeal. I Someone still like I know he gave some to Rachel, but like someone still got that fucking oatmeal. <laughs> like you have killed Horkfisher, you have killed humans, you have killed Yerks in their natural state. Mm-hmm. Like why all of a sudden? I mean, this book is post Aftran, you know, so they have like a new perspective on Yerks, I guess. That's true, and there there probably is no way of knowing if like cause I don't know how they they select yerks for these auxiliary pools. Right, there might be sympathetic yerks in the pool. They don't know. I wonder how they do choose yerks for these auxiliary pools, because like when when we dealt with the the pool in the hospital, they had that one specific yerk set aside for the governor, if I recall. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be the governor. Um, but like, are they just going in with a giant fishing net, and it's whoever's I feel like no, they can't do that. Well, there was like right. a, okay, so in Horkbajir Chronicles, we got kind of a glimpse at that with um Esplin slash Visor 3 talking about how he was selected for stuff. So we never get like a clear answer, but there is some sort of selection process. We know that much. Okay. So I mean they could have potentially taken out some like high ranking Yerks. Right. Granted, as we learned, the well, Yerk ranks mean nothing. And here's called dibs on them. Here's my question though: Are there really any yerks in that yerk pool? Because this is all a setup. So, do you think Visor Three? I mean, I think Visor Three would have risked it. I think he wouldn't care, but I don't think he would have thought, "Oh yeah, let me put some actual yerks in there." You know. But I, I that brings me back to: Was this was like how could this have been? Like this is a very elaborate setup. Because does that mean that? Visor 3 is looking for a mole in his organization. Here's here's where, where I'm at after thinking about this over the course of this recording. I think that they they were going forward with the plan. They were going to be trying to infest world leaders, but it wasn't he I think that he had a suspicion that the Andalite bandits would find out. So he intentionally leaked the incorrect date and then set up a surprise because option number one. He's wrong. The Andalite bandits don't show up and they're just set up and ready to go a day early. Option two, he catches them and he's able to fuck them up. And then go on with his plan the next day. But he's not that smart. (laughs) But he kind of is. I mean, Aloran's an asshole, but Aloran is very, very smart when it comes to military tactics. So it's, it's, I, I can buy that. It's a bit of a stretch, but I can buy it. Cause they, they had no, like, cause even when, they initially tried to like go in for recon and the, the dude in the glasses started just arbitrarily shooting at seagulls. They made it very, they made it very clear for themselves. The animals like, okay, do not react in any way other than how a bird would, which of course caused some, a rift between David. So Dave's like, so he's got to sit here and get shot. And Jake's like, yeah, suck it up, bro. Which I, I mean, again, I, I kind of want to feel sympathetic for David because like, he's just like, no, no, like he's not battle hardened as right, they are. Right. Like they've been dealing with this for months now. He he's this is his first mission. <laughs> this is his first mission. They should not have brought him. And I, I know like it sucks decreasing their numbers. They should have left him with somebody aside. Or for the, like, why didn't they tell that? Like, it's gonna bug me that they didn't tell the Chi about. Like, why not mention him to Eric? 
because may like I mean I know you said that like you know that she probably wouldn't assist. I think that she would be limited in what they could do because they would be aiding in some kind of violence or whatever. But I think it would have been worth checking with them, and be like, "Hey, hey guys, do you think you can? Is there anything you can do here? <laughs> like, any thoughts? Any ideas? You know? Oh, the only other thing that I'm curious about." Because it was definitely like a throwaway moment of a line, but I don't remember this being mentioned ever. So when they're talking about um, tracking David when he ran away from the barn, they're they're trying to track him, and then they realize that he went into Lion Morph to get away from the barn. And Cassie's like, maybe he just wanted to try it out. We also do things like that. Yeah, I agreed, and this is Jake. Uh, but a lion, that's close to people's homes. I seem to remember you morphing to Tiger and running around on people's roofs, Jake. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, what? What was he doing? When did that happen? Uh, I I mean, I that, I caught that, but that... <laughs> I Well, I caught it, but I assumed that she was referring to the first Megamorphs book when they were dealing with the, uh, the dust ball of mouths that I can't remember the name of right now. That was my nickname and, in high school. Dust, dust ball of mouths yeah, I, that was really popular <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, even that like the way that they're talking about it is like in the context of like playing with a morph to get used to it or like to experiment with it and I just feel like that would have been something that we would have mentioned at some point like <laughs> because we were with I mean we were with Jake as a narrator when he morphed Tiger for the first time right so I my brain went to because I'm I'm pretty sure that's what was like they were running around doing the like psychomorph thing with the 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 oh, Velik Velik I think Velik yeah um and they were they were running around a neighborhood in all sorts of shenanigans so that's that's where my brain went with that so that didn't strike me as too too odd because I don't I feel like Jake's like we were with Jake when he morphed Tiger for the first time and he he's morphed it enough that he knew how to control it like maybe in like in between one of the books he was running around on rooftops but I also like first how's the tiger getting up on a rooftop I I have a, now I have follow up questions <laughs> There's that so thank you thank you all so much for listening next week we are finishing up the David trilogy and discussing book 22 the solution if you'd like to read along check out the show notes for link to download the entire series for free on PDF the graphic novel of The Invasion is now available wherever you buy books and the link to purchase in the show notes as well. And make sure you are following uh, the the illustrator and uh, rewriter of these graphic novels because uh, Chris Grine, he's posting a lot of really cool stuff, including my new favorite thing in the world is he's posting uh, what he's calling Little Tobias. And it's Tobias with a little sock puppet hawk that he talks to himself with. And he's posted <laughs> a couple of them now. And it's really, I think I only sent you one. But he's done another one and it's just it's the most amusing thing in the world to me so follow along and enjoy that uh new episodes of the millennial agenda are available every monday with new apps animorphs editions each and every friday you can find the millennial agenda all over your favorite social media on instagram and facebook as the millennial agenda and millennial ag pod on the twitters you can support the podcast on buymeacopy.com with the link in the show notes and receive access to bonus content as well as all sorts of other fun things and you can visit the Hot Mess Press Co. on Etsy for official Millennial Agenda merchandise and some slightly please don't sue me Animorphs merchandise. 
please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast plasting plat, pod pod plasting. That's yeah. a new thing. Yeah, pod plasting. That was my nickname in high school. Mm. <laughs> rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform and until next time y'all happy reading (laughs) I thought that my my dear, dear friends would have enough of a similar sense of humor to be like, ah, snakeologist, that sounds legit. <laughs> but no.